You're listening to the Workforce Wise podcast from Equifax, where we help you better manage your workforce by saving time, reducing risk, and focusing on increasing profits. Hello, and welcome to the Workforce Wise podcast. I'm your host, Jason Fry. Today, we'll be talking about what employers can expect if they're ever involved in an ICE audit. I'm joined today by Gordon Middleton. Gordon is Anan and Onboarding Compliance Lead at Equifax, and he's responsible for legislative analysis for all areas of the Form I-9 and our E-Verify program. Thank you for joining me today, Gordon. Thank you, Jason. I appreciate uh, the opportunity to speak. And Gordon, I think that this is a topic that I know I'm hearing more and more employers asking questions about and honestly actively concerned with just because of what's happening mostly that they're hearing in the news cycle with increased enforcement actions, increased audit actions from ICE and from USCIS. And I think that when we talk to ICE and when we hear ICE talk, ICE representatives talking to kind of the public in meetings, we're hearing that they are creating a much more consistent culture of compliance. And the way that I've heard them talk about it is they're trying to emulate what they see with the Internal Revenue Service, where every taxpayer understands that when they file their tax forms at the end of the year, that that tax form might be audited. So that culture of compliance keeps that ongoing compliance motion, ongoing compliance action, always in the taxpayer's kind of front of mind. And I think we're seeing ICE do a lot of the same thing, trying to make sure that employers specifically understand that there is more likely than not the possibility of an ongoing audit or possibility of an audit action being taken against them. Gordon, are you kind of seeing the same thing in the marketplace today? I am indeed. I know that uh, we did get a lot of requests for support uh, about six weeks ago because there was a big um, release of notices of inspection uh, to various employers across the board. Plus, I know that, what was it, last June, uh, the acting head of Homeland Security Investigations, which is the arm of ICE where all the auditors sit, uh, and his name was Derek Benner, uh, stated at that point that the goal was, as you touched on earlier, the goal is to create a culture of compliance by instilling in employers the the expectation of an audit. And he said that, um, so that was straight from his mouth last June. So uh, I would say that they are doing their best to, to maintain that and ensure that he's on target with that statement. Yeah, and just honestly, the numbers that we've seen published by ICE, is that they're expecting a three to 400% increase in total number of audits initiated year over year. And I think that we definitely saw that last year. I think we're definitely seeing that this fiscal year. And I think we can probably expect it for at least the foreseeable future. So that's much more than doubling the number of audits that they're seeing every year. So I think that they're well on their way to creating this culture of compliance. But Gordon, I mean, the Form I-9 is at most a three-page form, but it's also incredibly difficult and fraught with all kinds of ways that employers can make mistakes, either wittingly or unwittingly. Can you talk a little bit about how difficult the Form I-9 is and why it's so important for employers to understand everything that's going on in that form? Sure. Sure. Um- 
Well, obviously, we know that the average fine amount is somewhere, what, in the $1,900 plus range for uh, per I-9. Uh, and in addition to that, um, we know that last year there were more ad- administrative uh, arrests made than ever before uh, for I-9 paperwork violations. Now, obviously, those generally require actual knowledge, uh, but... Uh, we have very active monitoring, and for those folks who use um, E-Verify as well, obviously monitoring and compliance comes into play. Uh, so we have kind of a multi-pronged uh, approach to to those that are that are um, actively um, examining I-9 processes of most employers. Um, obviously, having said that, um, the form, while it looks simple, as Jason mentioned, is only three pages. It's important to note that there are some 900 pages of laws, regulations, uh, and guidance uh, that accompany the Form I-9 itself, so it's incredibly difficult uh, when you get into certain situations. However, there should be, in most cases, uh, some written guidance out there that that at least should help you uh, go down the right path. Yeah, and I know that just in our own research and what we see when we're looking and working with new clients, moving from paper-based forms to an electronic service, we see anywhere between 65 and 80% of those I-9 forms have at least one error on them when they're converting them from paper to electronic. And that's pretty consistently what ICE is reporting kind of across the board when they're looking at the forms I-9 during an audit or an inspection. Gordon, I like that you mentioned E-Verify and that there are other enforcement agencies involved with I-9 because I think although ICE receives most of the publicity, it's important to understand that they're not the only ones that are looking at Form I-9 compliance and may not be the only ones that can bring an action against employers. I know that there's also offices inside the Department of Justice that are looking at Form I-9 compliance. ICE is looking at Form I-9 compliance. The Department of Labor can bring actions based off of some information on the Form I-9. Gordon, can you talk just a minute specifically about the Department of Justice and what they're looking at? Because I think we've seen an increase in activity from the Department of Justice, too, when we're talking about I-9 compliance. Right. Uh, And that arm of the Department of Justice is now known as IER, the Immigration and Employee Rights Section of the Department of Justice, and they focus solely on... Uh, immigration uh, and immigration compliance and making sure that employers uh, are not discriminating based on citizenship status or immigration status, et cetera. Uh, But they are also very active, uh, and what they do is ensure that employers are abiding by standing law uh, and not discriminating against specific citizenship types in their employment practices. And I think there's something along the lines of, like, and last, at last check, and this was last year, there were 40-some-odd attorneys, and they're D.C.-based, but obviously um, very serious um, work they do. And it's definitely something uh, that if they show up to your company, the first thing you want to do is engage your uh, own internal or external attorneys to deal with them. Yeah, and it's also, I think, important for an employer to understand that these agencies don't operate in silos. They, they do are- not working together and actively sharing information back and forth. 
So if during an audit, I find something that they think might should be investigated by the Department of Justice, they can share that information with the Department of Justice. So just because that Department of Justice didn't show up on your front doorstep doesn't mean that they're not still going to be actively looking at the compliance information that you've got on your Form I-9, because like I said, those agencies are all working together to create that culture of enforcement, and they share information back and forth. To get even more out of today's episode, make sure you get your free tools like webinars, ebooks, videos, and more at equifax.com slash wise. So Gordon, let's spend a little bit of time talking about what an employer should expect if audited by ICE. So kind of from day one when ICE walks to your front door, what's it look like? What does an employer expect? I think that we usually talk about six steps in an audit and kind of that step one is always a notice of inspection which is the document that ICE brings with them when they start an audit. Can you talk a little bit about the notice of inspection, what it has on it, what it includes, and what it does both for ICE and for the employer? Sure. Um, so basically, uh, the process I know uh, through last year, generally speaking, the auditor will hand deliver the notice of inspection and most times these days, uh, they show up with an actual ICE agent at their side. Uh, they deliver the the notice of inspection and give the employers. Basically, that starts the clock ticking uh, for that 72-hour uh, response window, uh, by which time uh, the employer is supposed to have all the requested materials gathered together, and the ICE agent, or excuse me, the auditor will show back up and collect the items. So... Some of the items that are included on notices of inspection, and I've seen many of them, but one of the first things that they always ask for is payroll records, okay, because obviously what they want to do is make sure that everybody that's active on payroll also has an active uh, I-9 on file, at least as far as employees go. Uh, Then beyond that, they will ask for things such as employer tax records. They'll ask for uh, employee schedules. Um, they'll ask for articles of incorporation. Uh, so there is much more to it than just having to round up uh, specific I-9s um, attached to specific employees. So that's an important key. Uh, and depending on how many they ask for or, or what the criteria is, sometimes they go in and they will ask for all I-9s across a date range, like, say, from July of last year to July of this year. But many times they will go to a specific location and just ask for uh, I-9s for all active employees. And again, one of the things that we want to make sure of is that all employers know that I-9 should be kept separate from their employee files uh, in order to keep a lot of that access. Like, for instance, if someone like the DOL came in to, to uh, do some sort of an employee audit, you don't want them stumbling upon your I-9s and learning of mistakes there and then handing that over to ICE. Yeah, and I think that that's an important pro tip. Keep your I-9 separate from any other HR documents, and that is to keep it clean in case ICE shows up and you're, ha- you're going to have to hand over some documents. You don't want it to be muddy or hand any more information over than actually what they're asking for. So step one, notice of intent. You touched a little bit on step two, and I think that, honestly, we're probably seeing a lot more in the news these days about step two, and that is when that auditor shows up, you mentioned that they may be there with ICE agent or ICE agents, and they may retain or detain employees at the location. So step two is 
the auditor may request the employer's assistance to detain certain employees, and that's usually where they've seen um, or had evidence of some type of ID theft. Um, so I know that we've seen quite an increase, especially in reporting around, in air quotes, raids, where ICE with auditors will show up and detain employees. And that can really cause an operational issue for employers because there's not much they can do when some of the staff is taken away um, in an enforcement action. So just kind of as a heads up, that may be happening as alongside someone showing up to audit Forms I-9. So just for an employer, it's good to be prepared. Gordon, can you talk for a minute? We've got some several states that are also passing legislation around employee-specific issues during audits. Right, and, and I assume you're talking about laws like the one that was recently passed in Oregon that say that the employer must notify their employees uh, upon receipt of a notice of inspection so that employees will be aware that ICE will be coming and may or may, may not be performing a raid when they show back up. But, yeah, it's uh, – and I know Oregon passed a, a, a law like that this year, and I know California passed one either last year or the year before. Uh, so it's something that we're seeing uh, sort of a, as a trend in some of the more employee-friendly states. So then let's talk about step three. Step three usually is DHS serving a notice of suspect documents. And that's really a notice of, hey, we think that these employees or we have reason to believe or evidence of these employees not having the correct work authorization documents or that their work authorization documents aren't accurate. Can you talk for a minute about notice of suspect documents and what that means to the employer? Yeah, uh, uh, and to me, I think as a best practice, E-Verify obviously can help out a lot uh, with suspect docu documents as they will be run up uh, against the federal database, uh, both uh, BHS and SSA, and that helps. Uh, but I think it's important also for an employer to remember what their responsibilities are when we're talking about documents, and that is basically the, the reasonable person test when you are presented with specific documents, what you need to make sure of as an employer is that the document on its face looks uh, like a legitimate and authentic piece of documentation and that it relates to the employer that's handing it, or excuse me, the employee that's handing it to you. And that basically uh, is the extent of the employer responsibility. If you see something that obviously looks like uh, it doesn't relate to the employee or it looks like a falsification or something fake, uh, that's when the employer needs to make sure that they're asking for a different piece of documentation. But once you receive that notice of suspect documents, uh, that's going to be a matter uh, of doing some investigation on your part and making sure that you've done your due diligence to make sure uh, that your processes that you have in place are working and that they prevent things like these from going through. Yeah, and one thing for employers to understand is with the notice of suspect documents, they are more than likely going to need to terminate those employees because with that suspect document notice, the agency has pretty well determined that the 
documents are not correct and that the employee would not have work authorization. There is a secondary step, which is a notice of discrepancies, and that is a list of employees where they're not sure. It looks suspicious, but DHS is not yet sure if that employee is eligible or ineligible for work inside the U.S., so that is kind of a spot for employers just to understand the difference between those two. With the notice of discrepancies, they run the risk of needing to make sure that they don't either exacerbate or accuse U.S. workers of not having appropriate documentation because, again, that's another spot where the Department of Justice can come in and bring action against the employer. To get even more out of today's episode, make sure you get your free tools like webinars, ebooks, videos, and more at equifax.com wise. Skipping along to right. step five, we'll talk about the I-9 audit itself. Can you talk a little bit about just a standard I-9 audit, what DHS is looking for, how they're looking at those documents, and what they do with the documents? Yes. Um, so basically, the auditor will take all the materials away, and they will ask for it in various formats. Uh, it's left to the independent judgment of each specific auditor what they want to see, what kind of formats they want to see everything. And some will ask for PDFs of the I-9s themselves so that they will go through and, and, and look at the, the I-9 in a, in a paper version and any attached copies or, or what have you. But some of the keys, I think, uh, as far as as mistakes that we see often, obviously the first thing the, the employers want to avoid are any substantive errors, uh, obviously like mistiming. You don't want to miss the dates on Section 1 or Section 2, obviously the one-day, uh, three-day rule. Um, anything unsigned uh, is, is not great either because if a person didn't do a, a test to the uh, items that they put on the actual form, uh, it, it kind of makes it moot. Uh, documentation, they'll look for things like um, issuing authority, um, expiration dates, uh, those sort of things, and just obviously making sure that it relates to the employee. Uh, one of the big keys that we see, too, is technical errors, okay? So things like maybe we didn't include an, an NA where an NA is required, uh, maybe some small uh, data pieces are kind of, of uh, jumbled or something along those lines. Technical errors are, are errors that the employer is, is typically given 10 business days to correct, but the problem is when you mentioned the numbers earlier, something in the range of 65% uh, of paper INIs have errors, that's a, a massive amount to try to correct within the time given by ICE. Yeah, and I think that it's also important to note that those numbers are the numbers that we see errors on paper documents. So right. this is truly an area where having an electronic service to complete those Forms I-9 is a benefit to the employer because it will take care of making sure that technical errors are addressed before that form is completed. So any system worth its salt will have enough algorithms running in the back to make sure that those rules are followed and that if those rules are not followed or if there's a question about something that's put in any of the individual fields of Form I-9, that the software takes the employer or the employee through kind of the questions to make sure that they aren't continuing to put those errors into the system before they complete Form I-9. So this is kind of really a pro tip where 
it is important to understand what your electronic online vendor does and ask a lot of questions around how they perform and how the software performs. And again, we love getting those questions because we love to talk about software and how our software works and what we've done to ensure that we are removing as much risk as possible in the Form I-9 process. But it's vitally important for employers to understand what that software is doing, how that software works before they engage a vendor. So we've talked a little bit about a lot of different spots in the audit process and kind of we're getting to the end now, which is step six. Step six is usually the result. And the result can be one of a lot of things. It can either be a warning notice, that is a warning that, hey, we've got some areas that we think we need to address from ICE to the employer. A notice of fine, which is we found some errors and here's the amount of money that we're fining you because you either had incorrect information or incorrect processes around Form I-9, or as a result of the notice of fine, the employer can enter into litigation with ICE to argue about the individual findings of the audit. Um, Gordon, can you talk for just a minute about the notice of fine, how it works, and what that usually means to an employer? Yeah, basically, and when the notice of fine is is presented, to the employer it's it's going to be a, a generally a a kind of an inflated number usually to to begin with at the very least, um, and all that says is we found X amount of errors. You need to pay this amount for those errors by this time. Uh, generally speaking, if the employer finds that it's amount that they can an amount that they can live with, they go ahead and move forward with that. If not, that's when they want to engage in their appeals process uh, in, in order to get in front of a, an administrative law judge uh, to to try to uh, get those reduced. But again, what you'll need to take in, into account there is that's when you'll have to engage outside counsel, and then you'll have uh, legal costs and everything that go along with that. What I've generally seen. Uh, with some specific auditors that I've worked closely with in the past, at least as far as gathering information and whatnot. Uh, if an employer is really trying and putting their best good faith foot forward, uh, generally speaking, if there aren't any glaring weaknesses in their processes, uh, usually it, it starts with a, a warning. Uh, and then at that point with uh, some sort of an, an uh, agreement that the um, the auditor will follow up in X amount of time to ensure that recommendations are being heeded, being heeded, and then in, in any secondary audit, uh, more likely see a, an NIF. Yeah, and I know that just from what we're seeing as new clients move on to the system and start using the software is that, you know, we had talked for a while, um, not m- hundreds of years ago, but as close as a year ago about ICE really focusing on a certain type of industry, so critical infrastructure, construction, food processing, we're not really seeing that anymore. We're seeing ICE go and initiate audits against all types of employers and all sizes of employers. And I think that's why this topic will resonate so much with employers. But I know we're running out of time, but I do want to kind of just take a minute to say there are a few tips that we can give to employers to make sure that they are doing the best they can. 
Uh, the first is, of course, we would always suggest evaluate an electronic Form I-9 system because, again, it pulls down your risk to such a lower level than it is if you're trying to complete these Form I-9 on paper or through a PDF form. And the second thing is really, Gordon, something you've touched on a couple times, and that is draft and revise immigration and Form I-9 policies for the company and make sure that you are consistently training and retraining your employees on what that policy manual looks like and keep the records of training and retraining those employees. Because as you mentioned, if you can show to ICE that you are doing your best as an employer to follow the guidelines, follow the regulations, and put processes in place to make sure that the employer is making as good an effort as they can to verify both the identity and ability to work for those employees that they're bringing in, it goes a long way in the audit cycle. And then the last thing that we generally suggest is to conduct an in-depth I-9 audit of any forms that you may have, especially on paper. And since that's kind of such a big subject, and there are several agencies that have issued some guidance in the past couple of years around self-audits of Form I-9. Gordon, I think maybe we'll want to split that off and have a second conversation about audits, audit and remediation, and what employers can really do to remove as much risk as possible inside those older Form I-9s that they've got inside filing cabinets, maybe somewhere in their office. Well, Gordon, it looks like we're out of time for today. I'd like to thank you for joining me today on the Workforce Wise podcast. We hope that the listeners are walking away with some practical tips that they can use inside their organization. Uh, you all enjoyed the discussion that we had today. Thank you, Jason. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard today, be sure to subscribe to the Workforce Wise podcast. And don't forget to download your free tools at equifax.com wise. While you're there, check out our other episodes and sign up for our live tech demo to see our solutions in action. And to keep our lawyers happy, you should know the information provided on the Workforce Wise podcast is intended as general guidance and not intended to convey specific tax or legal advice. For tax or legal information pertaining to your company and its specific facts and needs, please consult your own tax advisor or legal counsel. The views expressed are those of the discussion leaders and do not necessarily reflect official positions of Equifax. Investor analysts should direct inquiries using the Contact Us box on the Investor Relations section at Equifax.com.